0: Welcome to Pouring Over Pages, a podcast of words and wine. I'm Alexa. And I'm Maritza. Time to get lit on literature. Popping bottles, reading novels.
1: So we're so excited to talk about this book. We have actually had conversations on the side Mm -hmm. about this book. We've held off on having conversations deeply for the sake of like getting all getting it all out now in the recorded podcast but this is the long answer by Anna Hoagland and this book is
0: incredible it's so good it is so
1: good it's so good I really feel like it's worth it to read this book and then tune into the episode if you don't mind spoilers then tune in now anyway but I just feel like
0: you really got to read this book Definitely. I I went through it pretty quickly. I think maybe a few days between weekends, I finished the book, or maybe it was like two days total. I don't remember. You read it really fast because you texted me and it was like two or three days. Yeah, yeah. I think it was like throughout a weekend that I really had nothing going on, and I was like, ooh, like, which each story you're like, oh, let's dive deeper. Who is this character?
1: Such a page turner, such an interesting, fascinating book that I think really brings out just a lot of topics of conversation that are really, really important and that we haven't talked about on the podcast before, which is great. We really wanted to use this book to sort of talk about female friendships and talk about the way that people hide certain things about their personal life, when those things are revealed, what that means. And we'll do that through some of the characters in the book. But again, this is just something we've never really talked about before. And I think it'll make for really, really interesting conversation. But again, this is the long answer by Anna Hoagland and
0: pick it up. Just pick it up. Just do, do me a it. favor. Just pick it up. I'm so glad it was good too, because she reached out to us about yes. reading the book. Thank you, Anna. Thank you, Anna. So <laughs> I am so glad it was good. What's I funny is that I had awkward. told you that
1: this was on my TBR. Remember, I didn't have a copy of it yet, but mm-hmm. I already had it on like my Goodreads list. So yeah. I was like, well, I want to read this book anyway. So, <laughs> so let's just do it. Let's do it for the podcast. And we were so grateful to her for sending us copies and for reaching out to us because we, you know, we want these conversations to extend past mm-hmm. just the recorded conversation that we have together. We want it to really be a more kind of communal conversation. So thanks again. But for those of you who don't know what this book is about, this book is about a really interesting woman named Anna, interestingly. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a lot of questions have, about yes. that. But the main character, her name is Anna. And she talks to us about a few of the women in her life that she has met, some families, some friends, some even strangers that have talked to her about their life, about being mothers, about miscarriage, about abortion, you name it. But really, Anna is the sort of focal point. And through her perspective, we get to know some of these other women. And then in other cases, some of these women tell us or tell Anna, but we're present, uh, their own stories. So it's really about the kind of intersections, I think, between women, between the similarities that women have. But I would say it's definitely focused on the the body. Yeah. It's definitely focused on being pregnant, giving birth, having a miscarriage, having an abortion. It's very much about coming to your own in your body. So I I don't want to... I can't really give too much of a summary, I guess is what I'm trying to yeah. say, because it's it's not really much of a plot-driven book. It's more about anecdotes that relate to each woman's life and then how they come together and how you can relate or not relate to them and learn from them i yeah. would say
0: yeah and how they go back to to anna and and her experience and how she catalogs them all as she's talking like you would as a person going through life talking to different women it's like, it's kind of like a the same story like that
1: yeah and it's interesting because you're Everything is being filtered through Anna, Mm -hmm. in a sense. And she's, I think, a very not judgmental character. I mean, she does a pretty good job of just taking these stories in, being very open to listening to these stories, and not providing all that much judgment. I actually found that to be really, really fascinating, because the author very clearly wanted Anna to be the receiver and the kind of processor of these stories, but not the person who judges them. The point is not to judge these women for their stories. The point is to feel connected to them and empathize with them, even when you're furious with them, Mm -hmm. even when you feel like they made a horrible decision, even when you feel sorry for them, whatever it may be. I think it's just about us connecting through our own Mm -hmm. stories. That's what it felt like for me at least. But overall, I mean, we already, this is usually my first question, but overall, how do we feel about the book? I mean, clearly we both really yes, loved it. This is great. Really, really fast to get through. And before we dive into some of the conversation topics, Alexa, if you can enlighten us on what we
0: are drinking today. Yes. Today we are traveling to California um, in the Santa Lucia highlands, and we are drinking... Heroin by Iconic Winery. They have an amazing label with a female heroin character. And we'll dive more into that later. But it's a Chardonnay and it is delish.
1: It's delicious. I always love just sipping wine while doing this podcast. I feel like that's really, that's what we're in it for. It's
0: the best part. Drink good <laughs> wine
1: and have good conversation. But yeah, it is absolutely fantastic. And I can't wait to get to that. And obviously the pairing and why we chose it for this book Really, really fun. But I kind of want to start with this idea of division because each chapter is someone's story. This is not a book that is, as I said, plot driven. It's not something that makes you feel like each one of the stories is necessarily related, and they turn out not to be in no. a few cases, not all, but some. So having each woman have their own chapter. I feel really added to this effect of we all do kind of live our own independent lives and we don't have to filter everything through one other person's perspective. Mm-hmm. I felt like the way that the author chose to separate them was trying to make that point, And it made it easier than for us also to understand that it was kind of being filtered in a sense through Anna and Anna's experience. So I thought it was
0: successful. I will say. Yeah, I thought so too. And it's kind of like in that same sense with each chapter All of us, each of us, are the main character of our own storylines. Obviously, I'm a main character, you're a main character, and we have all of these co stars that come in, these side characters. Yeah, we got main characters. We're we're super angry. Yeah, we're we're not a Hufflepuff kind of side character kind of thing. (laughs) So it's, I mean, that's how it is in our day to day lives. So it felt even truer with Anna. Like, yes, she's the one filtering, she's the perspective that we're going through. But each of these characters, yes, she gets an anecdote here, a story there, but they're leading their own crazy lives. And then we never hear anything about most of these characters ever again. Like that snippet of connection that she has is all we get. And then fuck if we know what happens to them later on down the line.
1: Right. Exactly. And and it leaves you wanting more. It does. I wanted to know more, especially about Marisol. Yeah. When they leave that tidbit that she went on her website and the last show she had done was like a few years ago or something Mm -hmm. like that. And I was like, oh man, I would have wanted to hear more about Marisol.
0: Yeah. Some of these characters I totally wanted a whole nother book on or something. Marisol. Yeah. Marisol Someone give me Marisol. Someone give me a book on Marisol. Amazing. And then I would say Connie is like reality TV trash that I would want to know what happens there. I wanted to just... (sighs) I remember texting
1: you frantically at one point. And I'm just casually sitting in my reading chair reading about Connie. And I was like, Alexa, what the fuck?
0: <laughs> she was. I, I wanted to slap her.
1: <laughs> so we'll dive we'll into dive. who these women are, but I'll start. I'll start with the woman that kind of starts the stories off. Yes. Which is Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. So Anna is, as we already mentioned, the main character, her sister, her name is Margot. They're not particularly close, but Margot, I would say, makes an effort. Margot yeah. attempts to reach out to Anna, to talk to her, to share things about her life. And one of the things that she loves to share with Anna is her relationship and her friendship with this Elizabeth character. And Elizabeth is so kind of like mystified at the beginning you're like who is this elizabeth why is is margot so obsessed with her (laughs) why is she important and then you read elizabeth's story and i think it was i think it was really beautifully written i enjoyed reading about elizabeth i felt for her i felt for her deeply and this is a woman who at this point when we meet her she's already has a baby she's married she's living in alaska she's margot's neighbor and she's pregnant with her next child right but when we hear the story, we find out that she was married very, very, very young, that her then husband pressured her very early on to get pregnant. She gets pregnant, loses the baby, and her ex husband, Sam,
0: I think it- Sam yeah, what was his, his name. Yeah.
1: Sam finds ways to attack her and make her feel guilty for the miscarriage and claims that this all came about because she didn't even really want to be pregnant mm-hmm. because she had had reservations, which by the way, women are allowed
0: to have reservations about having children.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: well, and exactly. And also with Sam, the thing with him was that he he himself was going through a slump, kind of a, a professional and personal identity crisis, feeling like he hadn't lived up to his full potential, very down on himself. And she seemed to be bettering herself. And his kind of, I think his ploy, his his idea to keep her with him was the baby. The baby will make us happy. The baby will give me purpose. A baby never fixes a relationship. But isn't it crazy? That, like, we hear that all the time, though, we right? We do. Like, that's such a common, have, like, trope. I have people I know that had said that, and now they're divorced. <laughs> mm, they didn't bro. have the baby, luckily. <laughs> they didn't have the baby, luckily, but bro. they are
1: divorced. I mean, it's just, it's so crazy how... You know, even I think the most rational of people can fall for that trap. Yeah. You know, I think that what was really interesting about that chapter is that I think you see Elizabeth being incredibly rational, asking herself whether or not this is a good idea. And it's really Sam who is who manipulated her in what I thought was such an interesting way. And I'm glad that that Anna, the author, was diving into this with so much detail. And that is that Sam would talk about the baby as if the baby already existed And that kind of forced Elizabeth to kind of get with the program, to kind of get in
0: line. Like conditioned her. Yes. And I thought
1: that was really fascinating because I always feel like the thing that sometimes women lack, and I say this with love, and I say this as a woman myself who has also lacked this, but sometimes we lack that trust in our own gut Mm -hmm. because we think we have to like align ourselves with the people that claim to love us. And they very well might. I don't doubt that Sam loved her. Yeah, of course not. But we sometimes struggle with just putting our foot down and saying, no, I'm going to go with my gut. I feel a certain way because we're afraid of everything falling apart when we make those decisions. Because oftentimes they do. What we need to do is acknowledge that if things do fall apart, they were going to
0: anyway. Yeah. Yeah, like that wasn't the breaking point. Like, it would have happened at some point in right. time. Like, exactly. that's not the only thing.
1: And for me, Elizabeth's story was that lesson. I, I tr- I'm trying not to, like, put too much of, like, moral interpretation on these stories. But if I were to guess, I think that this storyline was very much about trusting your gut, doing what you want with your body when you are ready, mm-hmm. and understanding that someone can love you and that it can still be incredibly toxic. It can still be incredibly wrong. It can still not be the right time. That's kind of what I took from the story.
0: No, I definitely took that for, from the story. And also it's, it's just a shame when there's like a lack of communication or understanding because she tried to communicate and he just didn't want to get it. But when there's a lack of, of those two things in a relationship, how quickly it could just crumble and everything that you thought was great and amazing. And the path that you were on and the future you had envisioned is just up in smoke and gone in a second. And that's kind well, of it's like happened. a death. Yeah.
1: Exactly. It's like a death. And I, I, I don't think it was a coincidence that Anna Hoagland, the author that she was having conversations about miscarriage and also divorce and relationships ending because they all are a form of death, yeah. right? there's it's, it's, it's the death of a future you had envisioned, like mm-hmm. you said. So Elizabeth's story to me was really, really fascinating. It was a good way to start the book. Yeah. Only in hindsight was I able to be like, oh, I get why it started with with Elizabeth. Because it allowed for us to also understand why Anna and Margot talk and what Mm -hmm. their relationship as sisters was like, which was an interesting relationship. I don't have a sister.
0: Totally. So I can't
1: speak to that. I have an older brother and he's so much older than me. I mean, he's 10 years older than me. So my relationship with him is extremely close. So I didn't relate to that part, but I found it like a really like I found it fascinating for that reason because I don't have a sister, and I was like, oh, is that what that could be like?
0: Yeah, it was a weird um, mirror for me, <laughs> because so Margot is the older sister, and as the younger one, and I believe they're about four years apart. And that's yeah, I think so. Exactly, me and my younger sisters' uh, age difference, and while we may not live across the country from here no she was in California no where was I I don't remember where she was I think I think so I think it was California I think Anna was in California and her sister was in Alaska Alaska. I know Alaska for For sure sure. yeah (laughs) um and even though we're not we don't have that distance I think we probably have I don't know like 12 mile distance 13 mile distance Um, that just had always been true for me too. Like me and my sister were never close growing up. We had just enough years apart where she was always like my annoying younger sister. So when I was in high school, she was in middle school. When I was in college, she was in high school. It just never really clicked. And and she had um, a best friend with an older sister and they were extremely close, the same amount of years. And I kind of felt always kind of like, did she wish we were? Mm -hmm. and i never knew so then seeing the elizabeth character come into play it kind of made me think i'm like did has my sister ever felt that way about me being so close to certain friends or even younger friends that are like closer to my sister's age i I always wondered it was like a weird mirror to myself of like i totally understand this relationship fully (laughs) because i i don't get why there's a distance but there is in their relationship and in mine it's just we're just very different and I feel like that's the same with maybe Anna and Margo. It's
1: so funny you say that because I hadn't thought of that. Like, it's true. Like, one of our closest friends is definitely closer in age yeah. to your sister. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, just, it's interesting because I think a lot of it also comes down to, when it comes to Margot and Anna, a lot of miscommunication. Yeah. So it's interesting you're saying, like, did she want that? Because we find out at the end of the book that, Margot was making an effort that whole time. Yeah. And it was Anna who was interpreting it as like, well, she never really wanted me around. So I guess I'm kind of just going to do my thing and wait for her to call me. Yes. Which is also a common relationship trope. Totally. Oh, should I call him or am I going to come out like annoying? Like it's crazy how that also can happen within familial bonds that are supposed to feel the most comfortable. Mm
0: -hmm. I thought that was really interesting. Exactly. And that was the, do it during that whole time of reading the book and stuff and like talking to my therapist. And I was like, She's like, what are your similarities with your sister? I'm like, I don't know. We both like dogs. I'm like, so, <laughs> we like dogs. So you're both human. We right? like the beach. <laughs> so it is one of those, like the lack of communication. There's another good example of like communication and understanding to make sure your relationship is good. And I feel like that was another thing missing from their relationship that probably is missing in mine. But but nonetheless. That's that's so true. I There was... It,
1: you say communication, understanding, and it's funny how you can have one and not necessarily the yes. other because that was sort of what was happening with Margo and Anna. Yeah. You had communication. You had Margo making an effort to talk and you still didn't have a connection between the two of them because one of them wholeheartedly believed that she was just there to accept calls and never to make them. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really interesting. I, I saw that as like a learning moment for me Yeah, because I obviously don't have that experience, but I thought that the way that... The author wrote it was relatable. Not to me, but generally, and to you, obviously. Yeah, totally. But I think that Anna, Margot, and Elizabeth, that storyline does a good job of then moving you more into a personal anecdote about Anna herself. Big, important detail, Anna is pregnant. Yes. In this book. And the next chapter, which is called Anna and Ruth, was probably... Probably my favorite. Maybe after Marisol. I don't know. I can't decide between the chapter on Anna and Ruth and the chapter on Marisol. Because for me, the chapter on Anna and Ruth was so important. It was so much about abortion. And you know how I feel. Like I was like, this is so important. This is a conversation I'm never going to stop having.
0: Have it every day. Have it every day.
1: (laughs) But Anna loses her baby. Mm -hmm. She has a miscarriage. And it's... I mean... I just want to like, I'm not wearing a hat, but hats off to the author, because what a fucking way to depict what Anna went through. Yeah. And everyone who fucking has the nerve to be like, oh, well, women who treat abortion like birth control, fuck off. I know. Read this book and understand that not a single fucking woman wants to do this, wants to deal with this. Okay? Like... It was just so human. It was so raw. Anna has a miscarriage and she needs, uh, it's not a DNC that she has. Um, I forgot what she had. Um, But essentially it's a form of abortion to remove the baby.
0: Yeah, her baby had a heart issue.
1: Yes, that essentially the child would not
0: survive. No. Right? So and, she could give birth to a dead baby, <laughs> right? Or,
1: <laughs> right, exactly, or choose to terminate at a moment that would be
0: more humane. Yeah,
1: you know, keep minimal, you know, just yeah. make it minimal suffering, right? Yeah, I think basically. that that was really the the decision, right? And so, when she's talking to her mother about what is happening, and she's talking to her about the miscarriage and all of that, her mother opens up about the fact that she too had had a miscarriage, and. She says to her, my only regret was that I told no one. No one knew what was happening, not even my close friends. They had losses too. They must have, though they never told me about them either. We all went through it alone. That is one of the biggest takeaways for me about this book, is that so many of us experience these sorts of stories, whether it's loss or abortion or whatever it may be. And we go through it alone because we feel like there's a stigma to it. We feel like we shouldn't talk about it. We feel like it's like not just a private thing, but sometimes a shameful thing. Yeah, like
0: there's something wrong with you if you, God forbid, have a, a miscarriage or if you have to go get an abortion. Like there's, it's your problem. You know, there's something off. It's so shameful and it shouldn't be
1: right. And that's one of the things that really kind of shook me about this book is that I think it was written in such a humane, such an intelligent way, in a way that only a woman could.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) Like, 100%.
1: Like, we read Life's Work, A Moral Argument for Choice by Dr. Willie Parker, and we came to it from, yes, a moral perspective, more so a medical and political perspective. We really tried to clear the air about some of the misconceptions around abortion. But I think this book is, in my opinion, a great pairing yeah. with that book because totally. this one gives you more of like the, the anecdote that is long, that is detailed, that lets you really understand that this is a woman who was excited to have her baby, mm-hmm. who was ready to have her baby, and that that just wasn't the plan that life had for mm-hmm. her. And that's one of the things that people tend to forget, No, that this isn't do. the easiest
0: decision. No, it's not like you wake up and you're like, I'm going to have an abortion. Why not? No, this woman was literally going to prenatal yoga and picking, you know, clothes and names and setting things up. It's not, she was so excited. And okay. So it, it was actually a D and E, excuse me. Okay. It was not a
1: DNC. Um, but she says at one point when she's kind of reflecting on the whole thing, she starts talking about language and you know me, I can't possibly not expand on this further But there's this really interesting little tidbit where she says, notice how the word lost is often the chosen word rather than some variation of dead or even perished, or as the case may be, killed. Terminated is the preferred term for some, murdered for others. Those who say terminated would likely change the object to fetus or embryo or even products of conception rather than baby or child or unborn. And I thought that was... I want to get that tattooed on my face. I know like, it was so good, so intelligent because it goes to show how language quite literally forces you onto one side or another. Mm-hmm. If someone says to me, you know, the word "unborn," I immediately know what side
0: you know they are on. They're a MAGA Republican. I know for you're...
1: a fact <laughs> that we are about to not get along, right? And I am the person who says fetus. No, me too. You know, I I read Dr. Willie Parker's book and I agreed and understood that language is part of the way that we fight. And I just thought that that little paragraph was so spot on. Mm-hmm. And she's talking about it from the perspective of someone who was pregnant, lost a baby, had to have a D&E, had to have an abortion to keep herself alive. Basically, Because what happens when you allow for women not to have this care you put their lives at risk, right? We've already talked about that. But I just thought that that was such a smart way to talk about language when it comes to the abortion issue and to do it through this conduit of this woman that I would say is generally very likable in the book. Yeah, I think totally. Anna is like a very, very nice, chill, chill. cool yeah. character. Yeah, I have zero agreed. issue with her. Agreed. <laughs> She's no Connie.
0: No, you no. Know? <laughs> I'm very
1: down with Anna. So I just thought it was interesting that that she chose to include this in that way and she even says at one point when she's kind of reflecting on the whole thing, she says, "Cowards choose the D Strong women deliver their dead babies." And that's more of just society yeah. putting that stuff in your mind. Who is to say that that's true? And yet we can feel that because that's what we're taught to believe. Yeah. Anna was just such a like just such a great character when it comes to all of this and. And she makes what I think is a, a political statement. She says, I'd woken up at five this morning to read through online forums I'd already read. And here she's referring to when she's going to have the uh and the And she says, the women's posts were specific and thorough. Most were several paragraphs long with well-chosen and scenic details. Some women had flown across state lines and bled in motel rooms alone. Others went bankrupt when they learned their insurance wouldn't cover their procedure. Mm. That's America for you. Yeah.
0: It's heartbreaking. It's the country we live in. That's
1: America for you. And that is America post-Dobbs. Yeah. And I don't know what her political views are, the author, but I can take a wild guess. <laughs> I can take a
0: wild guess. I can take a wild guess <laughs> that she believes in health care for women, for everyone.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I just think that she did a phenomenal job when it came to that. So the the Anna and Ruth chapter for me is all about caring for those in your life that you love that experience this and finding bridges and using your empathy, your compassion and your understanding through storytelling. To understand that no one ends up in this position voluntarily no and it was incredibly powerful
0: yeah it's important to tell these stories so people so we could you know break through that stigma and i know so many people now who have had miscarriages and who've had abortions and have other children and have happy lives or don't have children and move forward and it's really refreshing to be able to be that open with things in this day and age because there's a moment i remember for the longest time i i was supposed to have a and I was told that my m- had a miscarriage. And I was like, okay, cool, whatever, cool. Later on, I found out from my m- that she had an abortion because she had an atopic pregnancy, which is a very common thing. There's yes. no shame and in incredibly, that. And incredibly, incredibly dangerous. Incredibly dangerous, incredibly common. There's no shame in that game. Like, it's, you were saving yourself. It's not anything that you should ever shy away from. So Agreed.
1: But don't you feel like people tell you these stories because you're open about the subject? Because I've had conversations with conservatives and they say to me, Well, I don't know anyone who's ever had an abortion. And I think yeah. well, I think they just don't tell you. No, they don't tell people you. People tell me I don't. know a lot of women. Yeah. Because I I think I'm a safe space. Yes. I'm I'm gonna be the person who's like, Yeah, that's cool. Congrats, good for you. I'm glad you did what was right for you. Yeah. I'm like, if you put out there that you don't believe women have a right to their own body, who in their right mind is going to tell you, well, well, <laughs> well I actually, had one, actually, <laughs> you know, like if you're not a safe space, I just, I just believe that people tell us these things. I feel like you and I know women who've had yeah. miscarriages, abortions, etc., because
0: we're very open about our political views. Yeah, of course. We, we want people to feel comfortable and be able to talk about these things. It's, it's just, it's funny. It's funny when those things do happen.
1: <laughs> and they happen- All the time. (laughs) But I've been like itching, quite literally itching for weeks to talk about Marisol. Marisol! I am obsessed with this part of the story. She's a great
0: character. She's
1: a great character. So Anna, after her abortion, decides to take a little trip and she goes to Joshua Tree, right? And she's like, I just need to be alone. I just need to like spend some time with myself and... Her husband is painted as, like, a very
0: chill, angelic very kind of dude. He's yeah. like, yeah, go do your thing, you know. What's up with white women in the desert during crisis? I don't know. Because that happened in I Love You, But I've, but I've Chosen darkness. darkness. The same kind of thing, like, post a child kind of thing. You know whether it was birth for the other character, and here was a miscarriage. Off to the desert to find my clarity. Like, what, what's up with white women in the desert? Yeah, I don't know.
1: White women slide into our DMs and tell Let us. so,
0: please. Tell
1: us why you like the desert in times of crisis. Christmas. Because as a Hispanic woman, I can tell you, I would prefer like the forest or the jungle. Yeah, something. Like Are we just meant to go human? back to? I don't
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> To our the land of our of our people, I don't know.
1: It's bizarre, but it's so true. That was literally the other book. Oh my god, I, I don't even realize that. But Anna is like called yeah, to go to the desert, and sure. she feels like she needs to spend time on her own. And she goes and has a glass of wine and sits next to this random Hispanic woman, and they just start chatting. And at some point, Anna asks asks her, "Do you have children?" And she realizes immediately that she shouldn't have asked, right? Did you get that? That she was like, oh, I wasn't going to bother at that point, but like, maybe I shouldn't have asked that. You know, like, it's uncomfortable. And Sword starts telling her this story about the relationship with her mom and how she was in school and that unfortunately her father had killed himself. And so she went off to school to kind of get away from all Mm -hmm. of that and then... She couldn't afford school anymore, so she needed to find something else to do. Finds this ad to this uh, artist who needs an assistant yeah. in some little town. I want to say Maine. I think it was in Maine. Yep. And Very foresty. She reaches out, whatever. And so she starts telling Anna all of these details. And Anna's, like, confused because she's like, I just asked you if you have children. <laughs> like what?" And she says, I'm giving you the long answer. Yeah. And I loved that. And the I book. loved that that was the title. I was like, I was like, first of all, of course the title is after a quote of my favorite character in the book. <laughs> but I was like, oh, that's so fascinating. And then I, and then it made me feel like, oh, this is gonna be a good story. Yeah. She's giving us the long answer to whether or not she has kids. And then it turns out to be not at all. Not at all what I would have expected. No, same. It turns out that Marisol goes to live in this little cottage that they have next to the artist's studio and in the house lives the artist and his wife and they've been uh together for a few years right yeah yeah and uh there's an age difference between the two of them and Marisol feels a certain connection to the woman
0: right are Mm -hmm. they married to the wife can I say the wife I can't remember if they were married. I don't remember if they're married or not. They might be. Either way, they 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 were reconnected. Yeah, and and you know their life partners. Yeah. yeah. Or so Mariso that.
1: had yeah. a thing for the woman, the woman in the
0: relationship,
1: and and started to love her. I mean, she uses the word like obsessed love. Obsessed. Starts us. to sort of like, yeah, be, become obsessed with her and feel like maybe she loves her too because she's seeing her with these loving eyes and seeing her as this like beautiful young woman and she misinterprets it
0: definitely because at
1: one point we find out (laughs) that this woman what was her name Helen Helen I forgot she asks Marisol if she would become their egg donor
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and ugh I was like man this is gonna get really 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 so awkward fucking awkward (laughs) super and what Marisol decides to do is say yes. Marisol says, Sure, I'll be your egg donor. And they offer to pay her, and they have to pay her for multiple cycles because they can't retrieve the eggs the first time and mm-hmm. something like that. They did and a ton of
0: cycles, too. Yeah, they like did like six, yeah, like six or like something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a lot of cycles. And, and they describe it as like gnarly, man. No, it's like they're injecting each other in the room, and that like, like the dinner time routine goes from like, you know, both the partners together with Marisol having a nice dinner and wine and enjoying a good company. To like them eating, the the man going upstairs to sleep. Her and Marisol stay up to watch TV and give Marisol the injections.
1: Exactly for the eggs. It's has got exactly. It was it was intense. I, I <laughs> it was it was a lot. <laughs> it was it was a lot, and I thought it was interesting just from Marisol's perspective, like her thinking behind it. She said. That she felt like she could then become their family, yeah. that she could that she could be a part of their family. Yeah, and she goes through these cycles as you described, ends up being able to do it. Right, they retrieve an egg, and this woman she becomes pregnant. They have the baby, yeah. and immediately she realizes that she is the odd one out. Yeah,
0: she's not not part of that. She's family. not
1: part of that family. Mm-mm. She was able to create that family yeah. she provided what was necessary for that family to become that family but she herself was not a part of it no it was so sad it was really sad but at the same time
0: i was like girl what did you expect i know it is a young girl it's a young random. girl i also feel like because she didn't have um that strong family core she didn't have a good relationship with her mother her father killed himself it's like she was almost seeking that familial love that she didn't have and then confused um the woman's affections for like an attraction yeah and and then you know and then obviously wasn't part of the family when she gave you know her eggs and the baby came but a lot of misinterpreted affections whether it be like familial love or in love or like, I love you, you're my friend. Like she just didn't, she couldn't navigate that. She couldn't pinpoint it. No, at all.
1: And and it was heartbreaking to read because you can feel that she's willing to do so much and she's willing to put her body through this absolute hell. Fucking horrible. And I, and as I was reading it, obviously I was thinking about it from my own experience, Mm -hmm. right? I'm a donor, not an egg donor. I'm a living kidney donor, Right. And so obviously anything that has to do with like donation, living donation, like I'm going to look at it from a very particular perspective. I'm going to look at it from mine and I'm going to think about why I did it. Like I'm going to reflect on why I did it. And I just want to say, I want to say something relatively controversial, but it shouldn't be. There's not a single person on this earth that donates for selfless reasons. Yeah. I just want to be very clear about that. I, people say that, people say a lot of very nice things to me and I appreciate it very much, but one of the words that I get sometimes is like, oh, that's so selfless. And I'm like, no, that's not true. That's actually the furthest thing from the truth. Nobody does anything like this just for the sake of helping somebody else. It is so fundamentally untrue. I want to shout it off of a mountain <laughs> But I mean, when you think about
0: it, it's It's just, it's just true.
1: Like, I just feel like if we remove like the sentimentality of it and we remove like the mysticism around it, more people would actually understand what donation consists of, what it means. And that and that rings true for egg donation, kidney donation, any, any donation, because the only reason people do it is actually for the most selfish of reasons. It has nothing to do with being selfless. I did it because I refused to live in a world that didn't include my brother. Yeah. I did it for the most selfish reason on earth. I just want my brother here. Yeah. Yeah. It's f- great and fine and dandy. And you a have a good relationship that with your brother. He is, oh, well, yeah, that too. <laughs> you know, that too. That was, that was an easy decision, right, because of that. But it's like I always see it as a bonus that he gets to – you know, do his thing and now he can eat meat again and he can like go about his life in yeah. the way that he wants and continue his life. But, I, and I did it for those reasons, but they were secondary to just me wanting him to exist. So we have to stop looking at general donation as selfless, kind. I mean, it can be kind. It can be generous. It can be courageous. It can be all sorts of things. But selfless, that's just not fucking true. I know. I just want to put that on blast. I feel
0: like even if you aren't doing it in a seemingly selfless way, you want the pat on the back for it. So that turns it into like a, look at me. I'm superior. I did this. I'm the moral high ground. I, yes. I, I gave this up. How great am I that I gave this thing? Yeah.
1: <laughs> like I threw a fit because on our one year anniversary, I made the reservation for the restaurant. And I threw a fucking massive fit. I was like, why the fuck aren't I just sitting back and someone else planning this for me? Last time I checked, I'm that bitch. Someone else needs to fucking make this resi for me. And I threw like a and like, I kind of freaked my mom out. And I was like, and I was like, I don't understand why I'm the one planning. That's like me planning my own funeral or my own birthday. Like what am I friendless? Like I like threw a whole fit because even though I don't need, like, the pat in the back, I just, I, I feel like I need the recognition because Something. I have suffered a lot yeah. since the donation. I've struggled a lot, and I have gone through things that I never knew were going to be a part of this. And my team prepared me for a lot, you know, and and they told me, you know, yeah, you are have scarring and this and that, but there are so many things that they don't warn you about because they're individual, yeah. you know? They're things that I never imagined. And that brings me to a really important point that is also touched on in this book, and that's body image issues. And we've actually never talked about that on this podcast. And so I wanted to dedicate really the majority and kind of the rest of the conversation to ideas of body image, because without reflecting on that, we're just not really scratching the surface when it comes to this book. And there's this really beautiful, wonderful, amazing moment where Anna starts talking about how she's like struggling with her body and her body looks so different now. And she doesn't fit into the same clothes and all this stuff. And I just thought this was like one of the most beautiful parts of the book. And she says, what I mean is I saw my body is not only my body, but rather a single iteration of the female human body. So to call my body ugly and weak is to have so often called it as I had so often called it, would be to call all female human bodies ugly and weak. To call ugly and weak Virginia Woolf and Alice Munro and Adrienne Rich and Frida Kahlo and my mother and Doris Lessing and Emily Dickinson <laughs> and Toni Morrison and Margot and Mia Farrow and Serena Williams and Sylvia Plath and Sharon Olds, and Michelle Obama, <laughs> and Elizabeth Bishop, and Elizabeth Taylor, and Lady Gaga, and June Jordan, and Audre Lorde, and Mavis Gallant, and Joan Didion, and Julie Garland, and Sappho, and Colette, and Elena Ferrante, and Beyonce, and I could go on and on, but I'm sure you get my point. Ugh, Anna Hoagland, you're the best. <laughs> I just thought that was so beautiful. And I think if more women in situations like Anna's, like mine, where our bodies change and they don't look the way they used to, or you've just never seen it look that way before and you start to panic and you don't know how to process it, remember that your body is not only your body, but rather a single iteration of the female human body. And when you call Mm -hmm. your body ugly and weak, you are saying that about all the women that you look up to. That's the lesson. Yes.
0: That is our mic drop list. That's
1: my, like that for me, I I think I read this book at like the right time
0: too. No, agreed, agreed. Because it's been
1: so difficult and I haven't talked about it openly very much because I just felt like it was, as Anna and Ruth discussed earlier in the book, I thought it was just my problem and I had to go through it alone. Because who the hell can relate to, oh, I had this crazy surgery that saved my brother's life and i should be only grateful but i'm also struggling with body image issues and i don't know how to process that because i'm only supposed to be happy but i can't just be happy it's a lot yeah
0: i could only imagine it's too
1: much and no one can imagine it and i couldn't have imagined it until i was in it so i just feel like this book does such a phenomenal job of emphasizing that our bodies what makes our bodies beautiful what makes our bodies exceptional and strong is the fact that they change. They accommodate pregnancy. They accommodate miscarriage. They accommodate recovering from those things. They accommodate an organ being removed from your body. They yeah. accommodate an egg being removed from your body and going through cycles and cycles
0: and cycles. I mean, whoa. It's it's a lot. And and it's not something that's so so readily talked about because society is constantly telling us what's wrong with our bodies so it it's very refreshing and inspiring and enlightening and and could apply to any situation from from you who had a fucking organ taken out of you to to me who was the fat kid who never wanted to be fat ever again and and had some body dysmorphic times and probably really unhealthy habits to get that way who is now accepting that a bigger stronger body is is the way to go and it right. works for me to to the mom who had two kids that didn't do shit after that because she was taking time out for those children and is now trying to find herself and and get back into to being in her space and in her own body, feeling good in her body. So it, it could apply across the board to to any woman. And and that's the beauty of it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think that Anna I think that maybe that's why I loved Anna so much mm-hmm. as a character because she Gives you this affirmation kind of over and over and over again, and peppers it throughout the story and peppers it throughout her own journey in a way that feels accessible and feels incredibly human. And there's a moment where she starts talking about like how she felt within her body in pregnancy. And it kind of reminded me of like how my body felt in recovery post surgery mm-hmm. because I was so aware of it. Like we're not really aware of our bodies until like we come back from the gym and we're really sore yeah, or we just had surgery or we're sick, right? Like it's only when something is happening to the body that we're acutely aware of it. And so she says like, I don't know if it was because I'd never felt so attuned to my body in pregnancy or that I'd never felt so alien from my body in pregnancy that enabled me to see it in this way as I had never seen it before. I felt suddenly and acutely a heightened appreciation for all the microscopic favors my body had done for me from that moment I'd been conceived until now. Favors descended from generations and generations and generations and generations, the cellular wisdom always imperceptibly moving. Mm. And I thought that was also a really beautiful way of putting it. These like microscopic things that your body does that you're not even aware of, but you know are happening because you see the result of it. Right. I saw my, my scars start to my incisions start to close and become scars. And then they went from red to pink to now skin color. Like you see all these like microscopic things that your body does. And it is like generations and generations of cellular wisdom that brings you to this place. So again, it's like, if you're going to call your body ugly and weak, then everyone that came before you, you're scoffing at them. Yeah and it's just like i feel that the way she wrote about body image is all about being grateful for your body and if we do that if we start accepting our bodies for all the things that they can do then you're just going to be in a better place yeah. i i always thought that gratitude would like fix all of the issues it doesn't mm-hmm. i i also don't want to put no, that no, out no, there no, no. because that's not true like I literally told myself in the most like toxic way possible, I was like, well, your body was good enough to save your brother's life, so stop complaining about the fact that you can't fit into your, into your pants. That's not right either. No, no. That's it's toxic positivity. Yeah. That's yeah. toxic gratitude. So we have to find that balance. We have to find that medium and talk to ourselves with grace, talk to ourselves the way we would talk to a friend. Yeah. And I started thinking, I was like, Alexa would never say that to me. No. It was that's a mean thing it's to say. Horrible. So why am I so saying it to it. myself? Yes. If Alexa were in the situation, what would I say to her? It wouldn't be this. And I think we need to be aware of yeah. that if because we, we're not we, good
0: at it sometimes. No, and if we go forth with more of those thoughts, would I say this to my closest friend? That's when you're like, wow, I'm talking to myself like an asshole. Exactly. And I need to stop. <laughs> it's such a
1: simple thing, but it's so, so true. If you have really good people in your life, Really good friends in your life, talk to yourself the way that you would talk to them, mm-hmm. and if you're talking to yourself in a way that you're not happy with, be like, "Would I say this to my friend?" And if the answer is no, then you shouldn't be saying it to yourself either. Yeah, it okay. sounds so simple, I know,
0: and point. it takes
1: a while to get there sometimes, <laughs> but to get there is a big win, yeah, it's a big win so i I, I just want I wanted to take a moment to talk about that because. We've never talked about it. I want people to know and understand that you're not alone when you are experiencing changes with your body. All of us will. Yeah. If you haven't already, at some point you will. It's okay.
0: Don't be afraid. It's going to happen and it's yeah.
1: okay. And it's okay and it's perfect and you're perfect and there's really nothing to, to judge your body about. But this read, I think, could be a good read for anyone who feels like, they just need to reflect on themselves and see the good in their body again. Yeah. I think it was really touching and really positive and really kind and even though there was a lot of sadness in the book because we we see Anna experience abortion and and like and miscarriage in like the just the most difficult way. Like we see hard really hard stuff in this book. I think overall it was incredibly positive and incredibly yeah. kind and And a love letter to
0: women. Yeah. No, I agree. Very enlightening, encouraging, uh, bringing out the kindness for yourself. Just many, many lessons in this book that we all need to hear and should hear multiple times a day. (laughs) Yes. Sometimes multiple times a day. Sometimes
1: multiple times a day. As many times as you need to. So what I want to do is that quote that I read out about how you can't call your body ugly and weak. Because if you do, you're going to call... Joan Didion and Michelle yes, Obama Ugly and Week. I, never. I want us to, like, put that on Instagram and for people to comment who they would think about. Yes. Because I think it would be nice for us to compile, like, a list of a whole bunch of women that we all admire. And the beautiful part about it is that that list is going to include women that look all completely different. Yeah. I mean, this one already Vases. does. This one already
0: but it's going to be really yeah.
1: cool to just hear from right. everybody. So just start thinking about... Like the women in your life, they can be celebrities or, you know, people that we would all recognize and know, but let's just put a list together of women that we wouldn't want to insult by insulting ourselves. Great. And that'll be a good way for us to all do a little kind of community healing together.
0: So cheers to that. Cheers to that. This is a great book. Thank you, Anna, for
1: sending us the copies. We are so thrilled and we're going to. Convince everyone to read this book and now yes. we get to just chat about the delicious wine that I've been slowly. I know. Sipping. I need a refill. You do I'm need a refill. Low. It's been a stressful week for me. I know. It's been
0: very, very stressful week.
1: I know. I know. We're doing our best, guys.
0: <laughs> We're always doing our best. Oh, this wine is hella good though. It's so delicious. So when I was looking for a wine for this book, I was kind of having some difficulty just because we've done a lot of wines by women winemakers we've done a lot of wines that support reproductive rights we did we've done a lot of these things which is great I'm very happy I'm not complaining about it it's awesome (laughs) I I have (laughs) we're very proud very proud (laughs) I'm not I'm not insisting anything but I just kind of wanted to go a different route in a way just to to have some variety here and I was able to find, and I also want to do local. So I was looking locally too, just to make sure that I'm, you know, repping the local wine shops, giving back to the community and small businesses in that way. So I was checking out Vino Nueva. It's right by my house. Um, it's like on Biscayne and 54th Street around there. In, um just like by Nemo Design District. And I saw that they had this wine called a heroine by I- Iconic. And it's like the bottle is so interesting. It's like this female superhero. It's very graphic, very comic book-y, black and yellow label. She's wearing like a mask and there's like a cape and the whole superhero getup. And I was like, okay, I could get behind this. Yes, she and looks fierce. Super fierce. So I thought it was a great choice for this book. Um, for the heroine, heroine as in the character, not the drug, if some of you <laughs> <laughs> just just want to make... Just to be super clear. Super clear, the chief female character in a which book. Which is why it has the E at the end. Which is the E. Just like, we're in Miami. I don't know. We're Flo- <laughs> Florida. You know, Florida man. <laughs> oh, God. So in this book, we meet a handful of different women and through the eyes of Anna, they're all... I, I think heroines of their own story, whether we agree with them and their actions or not. Um, you have Margot, who is seemingly distant from her sister, but that's only because she's being pushed away. Yet she still strives to be a positive force in her life. We have Elizabeth, who struggled with a toxic partner, but she was able to break out of that situation. Marisol, who gives the family a baby at her own detriment. And, you know, even, even, um, what is it, Connie? Corey, Connie? Le- Leah. The oh Leah's Leah. the one that had yes, the, the, yes, that's the, her the name. kids and then Leah and then it was Corey, yes, Corey right who that was, had yes, the affair, with the, affair with the boyfriend so even Leah and that horrible horrible yeah situation. we didn't
1: talk about that much guys we no. just mentioned that we didn't like Corey I'm sorry I think we called her Connie I think we did
0: call her Connie but, but it's fine Corey it's
1: fine when you read the uh, you know I actually I don't want to spoil that for people
0: no you, you, should, you, read you should read read you
1: should read that you so you should. can be as fucking shocked as me and Alexa are how about that
0: that's also why. How about that? That's also why I didn't flag it because I was like, you know what? <laughs> that should be red. You deal with that. <laughs> you deal with that mess. <laughs> Leah there was dealing with Corey and, oh, you know, oh, that guys, situation. Just, just read the damn book. Trust me. And not. of course, Anna, the main character who we all sympathize with and enjoy her story. So, Iconic was founded by Burke O'Halloran, a New York City wine veteran, and his business partner, Carl. Antle. the two met in college and had a shared nerdy obsession for whiskey and comic books and then their obsession gave birth to iconic wines. they they both had a desire to produce wines in a style that they like to drink and didn't break the bank which totally cool this this wine bottle was 24 bucks for a really great chardonnay yeah and and that's what i look for too with like everyday sipping like Something under thirty dollars because I'm not fucking rich. I don't want to drink you mm-hmm. know expensive bottles every day. And something that just tastes good that has it's high quality. So they have these style wines, and then they have a different line called Sidekick wines. Yeah, so it's like Cabernet, Chardonnay, Merlot, and they tend to be like kind of more European style, even though they are in California. And then, so this comes from the Santa Lucia Highlands in uh, Monterey County in California. It's a small wine-growing appellation known for Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. It basically sits up top on the east-facing terraces of the Santa Lucia Mountain Range and to the south of the breezy Monterey Bay on California's central coast. So it gets, like, really interesting weather from, like, the coastal aspect and then that it's high on this tiny little mountain range, um, a little bit about... The region, Um, Spanish uh, missionaries came and planted the first grapevines in the 1790s, but for the next two centuries, you know, inhabitants mostly focused on vegetable farming. It wasn't until really like the 1970s when a bunch of farming families went in and decided to really unlock the wine region's potential. And grow a ton of wine. So, for the next 20 years, vintners from other regions joined local ranching and farming and established in the 1980s, like this next hot spot for wine in California. And the region became an American viticultural appellation, AVA, in 1991. And today they have approximately 5,700 acres of grapevines. So, it's, it's small but mighty. And about the wine, they named the wine heroine to capture its grace and elegance, while still reflecting the powerful terroir of California. And they loved the idea of putting a true American art form—a comic book. On the label of the american wine this started off as a side project and their first vintage was only about 90 cases made so it's not a ton of money but then it sold in six weeks completely and that's when they realized it was going to be more of a real job instead of a side hustle i love that and i'm glad they did it's great wine and they named their winery iconic because they aspired to establish a new benchmark for california wine Wine that is authentically Californian, but more restrained than the the blockbuster wines that became the norm in the nineteen nineties. And what they're talking about here is like big and bold and, mm-hmm. and like buttery Chardonnays and fruity fucking cabs and like just 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 like too much. Like yeah. Bleh. Like the Chardonnay that people think about and hate and avoid Chardonnay for.
1: I mean those stereotypes are alive and well. You know, yeah. I was that person that was like oh, I don't know. I mean, not for this episode. I just want to be very clear. This was years ago now. Years. But she I was better. like, Chardonnay, no. That's so buttery. That's so oaky. I don't want that. And it's similar to when people say that Riesling is sweet. Yeah. And you're like, actually, no. That's a common misconception. There is so much variety within that. So I think it's like... Don't be afraid of Chardonnay because there's a lot of stuff out there that isn't that bold stuff that you were describing. Exactly. That that stereotype is not real. No,
0: exactly. Like there's beautiful Chardonnay. Yeah. Just go to Burgundy. Yeah, exactly. There's so, I mean, California, California right here. Yeah. So that's kind of like their, their origin story, if, if you will. So given all that information, now that we know it's not a butter bomb, we are going up to taste the wine. Of course, we always start with smelling it. It Smells lovely. There's like lemon peel, like pineapple.
1: Is it incorrect to say that it feels not like fresh lemon, but more like like baked or something. You, it feels yes. like warm. Yeah, almost. yeah. You could
0: say um, underripe, yes. overripe, fresh, interesting, baked. You could use all of those in a, yeah, different. Yeah, it feels more adjectives. like like
1: like baked citrus or something. It doesn't yeah, yeah. feel like no. when I have like a really like acidic Sauvignon Blanc or
0: something that I'm no. like, ooh, I smell the lemongrass like that's not the case no 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 of course and i we just poured it too so i'm like trying to warm up this is the only time you should hold your wine glass by the bowl is when it's too cold and you want to warm it up so you could get more of the aromatics
1: yeah and i've even noticed just like at home now that i'm drinking more wine at home that just leaving it in the glass for a few minutes before i taste it makes such a huge difference or just if i taste it right out of the bottle and then wait a few minutes it'll be different Yeah,
0: yeah and that's like amazing that's such the the beauty of why yeah. it's like a like a transformative yeah it little, develops for you yeah. it like puts on a show for you a little coconut but not like super because i think I a little vanilla yeah vanilla a little bit yeah because these are in neutral french oak barrels so you're not going to get a lot of those oak um kind of tertiary notes mm-hmm. which is nice because i don't That's not my jam. I don't like vanilla bomb, like a bath bomb of vanilla Chardonnay. Right. That's not what I'm here for. I think here you get
1: almost like a little bit of that classic, but in a more, I think, drinkable, a more kind of universally maybe enjoyed type of way of doing it.
0: For sure. Don't
1: fear this Chardonnay. No,
0: don't. It's pale yellow in color. I totally skipped over color. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to sip it. It's very dry. Yeah, I would say like medium, medium, medium plus acidity, like light to medium bodies, maybe. Yeah, I'm cheating a little bit. No, do it. Uh, that's what the book because is Because I'm
1: looking at Wine Folly, but I do taste the yellow apple. I was like, what is it that yellow I'm tasting apple. that feels like fruity? What is it? What is it? It is yellow yeah, apple. Yeah, totally. A hundred percent. You totally get
0: it. The the lemon continues into the palate. You know, little tropical fruit like like some yeah. ripened pineapple.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Get that a little bit there. It's it's delicious. I'm really enjoying it. It reminds me more of um, the European styles, what they're aiming for.
1: Yeah, which yeah. is
0: great. That's my jam when it comes to Chardonnay. Same. And it's really refreshing. Um, I think it's a good everyday wine. It's a bang for your buck. It's twenty four bucks. Avino mm-hmm. Nueva, and you know, and it has a cool, you know. Kind of cover art on it, yeah. if you will. It's, got a good look. <laughs> it's a good look, so that I feel like you could come and and bring it to you know, like a very unassuming group. Yeah, and they 100%. won't They won't be intimidated. They wouldn't. This
1: is the wine that if I were hanging out with people who are like I don't like Chardonnay, yeah. I would bring this. Yeah, no
0: one's a great. And I'd be like, wait, volume. hold
1: that thought, because I feel like people will see
0: that that stereotype is just not always real yeah it's not there and you could drink this with different like you know fish or chicken or or whatever it's like a great well-rounded white wine it's agreed very delish it's a 2018 so it has a tiny bit of age on it and it has my seal of approval <laughs> well, that's
1: all we could ever ask for, right? That's all any wine could ever ask for. The Alexa's Wine Diary seal of approval. Yes. Crisp and refreshing. Chris, well, that's me. It's crisp and refreshing. refreshing.
0: We should put that on a shirt. We should. And see if something goes in. I
1: mean, that's how I describe every fucking wine, except for like a fucking Merlot or something. I'm
0: like, it's crisp and refreshing. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Thank you for listening in and sipping with us. Um, if you haven't done so, make sure to give us five stars—not one like that cunt, but five stars. <laughs> that one conservative oh, asshole. Whoever you are, um, subscribe to us. Uh, follow us on Instagram at Pouring Over Pages Podcast. Check out our shop on Etsy. We've got new merch. Yes, and Alexa's wearing it right now. I'm wearing it right now, I will post it on her Instagram. They are beautiful. Um, And like always, Cheers. cheers.